because I want to make a difference. I do want to make life easier for people. And I think that, you know, back to purpose, I do want to make sure that the next generation of young Australians, and indeed when I've got my ING hat on, it's not just Australians, we're a global company. I do want to make a difference for for people who come after me. And I think if we all signed up to that a little bit more in life, maybe the world would be a better place. Hello and welcome to Exceptional, the Santa Sabina ex-students podcast. I'm Sarah and thanks to everyone who listened in for our first episode with Sister Judith Lawson. Thanks also for your feedback, likes, shares and reviews. These are important to us. Today I'll be catching up with Melanie Evans from the class of 1994. She's the CEO of the fifth largest bank in Australia, ING. We'll talk about leadership and progressive workplaces as Melanie takes us through her journey from 17-year-old cadet at a Bankstown Bank branch to the head of a multinational organisation. I hope you like it. Melanie, welcome to Exceptional, the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. It's very exciting to be uh, speaking on a podcast, I guess, back in the Santa Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we dive straight in? Tell us what you did after you left school. As I was wrapping up my HSC at the time, high school certificate, I saw a job ad in the paper for a cadetship at St George Bank. Unusually at that point in time, most cadetships were for accountants. It was very unusual to see a cadetship in sort of a generalist um, field of study like business or commerce. Literally enjoyed a, a fun schoolies time, a wonderful summer, got my university uh, entrance confirmation and entered the world of banking at the ripe old age of 17. Uh, working behind the counter at the Bankstown Square branch in the food court on the lower ground floor. Very, uh, very illustrious entry to the world of banking. Um, But really what it allowed me to do was put my studies into context. I just got a really good sense starting off where I did about what banking was about because on the front line of, of any bank branch, you are really dealing with the purpose of banking in terms of serving customers day in, day out. And for our listeners who might not know you, tell us what your role is now. So I'm CEO of ING Bank in Australia. So we're Australia's um, fifth largest bank, if you measure it by how many Australians say that that ING is their their main bank. Uh, We also have uh, quite a significant wholesale banking arm here in Australia as well. So, yeah, from the front line of Bankstown's Square branch, um, St George uh, at at Bankstown, um, to yeah, I'm I'm now CEO, and you know, ING is a a very digital bank. It, we don't actually have branches, um, and we pride ourselves on being very modern and progressive, um, but also a leader in sustainability. So quite a different era to the banking era that I entered back in uh, January 1995. And when did you start your role as CEO? So I was appointed as CEO at the end of 2020. Uh, So, you know, within the first 12 months of COVID arriving in Australia. What was it like steering a bank, which is also a workplace, through a pandemic? 
Look, I think that where I'd start with that is really about people and humans. I think if you're very clear on what your role is and what your purpose is and you're very clear on what you value and you're open about that and you've shared that with people, I think that it makes it easier um, to to steer any organisation or any workplace through any change. So in the very early days of COVID, and that's the other thing, IG is an international bank. So um, here in Australia where, you know, one of, you know, many ING businesses around the world. And so we got a good insight of what was happening with COVID when it started popping up in Asia and in Europe. So we were well prepared and we had a really clear sense that our first objective was going, and and this is what we communicated to our people and our customers, we were going to always hold the safety and security of our people as our number one um, value or principle that we would do everything possible to look after customers who called ING their main bank um, through the pandemic. And thirdly, that we would, um, we also recognise the importance that during times of uncertainty, we have a role to play in maintaining the stability and safety of the banking and financial services system. So we were really clear about those three principles and we communicated that very clearly with our people and our customers. And I think that once you use values or principles to sort of frame up how you're going to deal with the problem, decision-making should come more easily. And also it means that you don't need one person making all decisions. But, you know, it was still for me one of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in terms of watching the human impact of it. You know, we had customers who overnight were unable to go to work, therefore earn a living, therefore pay their mortgage. We had customers calling who were under significant emotional and, and mental strain and anguish simply because of the financial pressure that they were under. You know, from a from a people perspective and leading the team perspective, you know, we had people ill, we had people very anxious about the environment. So it's not something that I would like to ever go through again, but I, I think I learned a lot. I still think about those things and, you know, we might get into it in the podcast, but I do believe that your lived experiences really help you solidify what's important to you and how you do things next time you're faced with not necessarily a similar predicament, but maybe a challenge of the same magnitude. Mm. You spoke about ING being progressive. Yeah. In 2022, what does a progressive workplace look like? (laughs) It's a really interesting question and I think I'd start by saying progressive workplaces, number one, probably accept all definitions of progressive. I mean, there's room for for all walks of life in a progressive organisation. So I I think that would be the the first thing I'd really emphasise. I think in 2022, progressive groups allow there to be differences of opinion and differences in terms of how we think about things and how we approach things. And we're probably more likely to find the upside in that rather than see it as a basis of exclusion. So that would be the first thing. 
I think the second thing around progressive workplaces in 2022 is they're far more interested in having a clear vision about the future and trying to move not just your own workplace, but the community more broadly um, into that. I mean, progress being the, you know, the, the key part, I should probably pull back on my, um, my Latin lessons back in Santa in the 90s, but, you know, progress is, is key to the word progressive. So you've got to be moving forward. Now, sometimes that progress can be feel more like evolution rather than revolution, and sometimes in a progressive organisation you just make a big jump. Um, you know, ING has um, a great heritage in Australia as being Australia's first digital bank. We're still the largest digital bank. So being progressive and doing things differently is an ethos that sort of sits very closely with how our business operates. But I think in 2022, we're taking that concept of being progressive and applying it not just to how we do business um, in, a, in an economic sense, but it's about how we approach sustainability, how we approach our commitment to climate change, how we approach our, you know, our sheer view that we're responsible for the well-being of everyone who banks and works with us. We're not just responsible for their financial prosperity, that we have a role to play in, in the well-being of people more broadly. I think the other thing that progressive organisations are slowly getting to in 2022, and I think this has been happening for some time, is you don't have to be senior, you don't have to be the CEO to affect change. A, a modern leader in 2022, I believe, is more about creating the environment in which other people can feel like they can contribute and have an impact. You have used your voice and your position for broader ad advocacy in yep. relation to changes in the workplace. I have. <laughs> At what point in your career did you start standing up for these bigger picture issues? It's a yeah, it's a really good question. In hindsight, I think I've always had a voice. I've always felt the need. I probably started at the family dinner table, to be honest. You know, I grew up in one of those families where you could um, you could put your view forward no matter whether you're at the head of the table or not. And most people will know what I mean um, by that. And, you know, the debate and the ability to have your own view about something was, was always something I think that was ingrained in me from a relatively young age. I also have an older brother, so that probably helped as well. I learned how to stick up for myself pretty early on in life. I mean, I've even reflected about this in terms of what I studied when I was at high school. I, I was predominantly social sciences. So, um, you know, I, I was more an essay writer and a gatherer of information, opinion and argument, if you'd like, rather than, um, you know, the, the science, mathematics sort of um, strain. And that's even interesting to reflect on now that I'm still working in financial services and, and banking many, many years later, is that I think that you build the skills to be able to put forward a view on things very early on in life. You build the confidence and I think that the environment that you grow up in um, either helps you build that very strongly or, or maybe in some instances I think we've probably got examples of, of young leaders who have maybe grown up in, in environments where that view's been stifled, to be honest. I was very lucky. I'm, I'm more the former than the latter. But as I've matured, and I, I, I think many of the issues I have to say that I speak openly about now around 
you know, women's workforce participation, the, the modern workplace, flexibility, um, you know, being more flexible for working parents, not working women or working mums, working parents, you know, those sorts of discussions. I do think I, I didn't have lived experiences in those in my 20s. So I really was quite naive to a lot of the issues. It wasn't until I started leading people that I started seeing some of those structural issues. Um, and then, you know, when I hit my late 30s, I was starting to face into some of those issues myself. So it became a very personal lived experience rather than one that I observed from afar. And also, I guess, working in banking and financial services is quite pervasive. So, you know, a strong economy is one where um, communities are comfortable, economic participation is high, everyone feels like they can be an equal contributor. You know, all of those big issues are all I see part of my job or, or understanding them is part of my job as well. So. I think I, you know, it was probably ingrained in me early on to always speak out, but I think as I've grown through life and probably had an opportunity to grow my circle of influence or sphere of influence, but also gradually build my know-how around some of these experiences, I think it's really, really critical. And then I think the la the only other thing I'd say to that is when I'm asked, my general, my, my general tendency is to help. So for a lot of these issues, I might have been speaking about them quite privately or in the, you know, organisational team that I worked in at the time. And it just so happens over the last, you know, five to ten years, as I've started connecting with other people across the community, you often get a phone call and say, hey, you know, I need someone who can come and talk about this or that. And so, yeah, I tend to get caught up and say yes to a whole lot of things like this <laughs> because I want to make a difference. I, mm. I, I do want to make life easier for people. And I think that, um, you know, back to purpose, you know, I, I do want to make sure that the next generation of young Australians um, and indeed, when I've got my ING hat on, it's not just Australians, um, we're a global company. I do want to make a difference for, for people who, who come, come after um, me. And I think if we all signed up to that a little bit more in life, maybe the world would be a better place. If someone had to have a conversation with their boss um, about parental leave, what advice would you give? Well, I have it. This is lived experience. I've done that twice. Um, so I think the first thing um, to say to people is choose your boss wisely. And that makes this conversation a, a very easy one. Um, I was really lucky in, in both circumstances where I announced that I was expecting my children. The person who I told was genuinely happy for me. Uh, and so I think that made the world of difference uh, is that they were genuinely happy that I was starting my family and they were such great leaders that they also saw it as an opportunity for another member of the team to step in and do my role for a period of time. Now, that sort of reaction is the one that you want because that shows someone who's like, yes, 
billions of people have had children and it's quite natural for this and already thinking about, again, how someone else can benefit out of this, you know, what is ultimately a wonderful life-changing experience. And, you know, when you're in that phase of life and, and in particular when you're in those early days of your pregnancy, you're actually quite excited, well, I was. The last thing I wanted was a leader who was going to be more worried about themselves than excited for me. Um, so I think that, what, you know, working for someone who cares about you as a human and being confident that it's not the first time in the world that someone's had that conversation is incredibly important. My other tip is um, if you don't have that great experience that I described, is try not to judge the other person too harshly. It could be that they've never experienced it before. It could be that they're under pressure. It could be that they're unable to have children. I mean, you don't know the other person's context of, of this conversation. So um, don't judge people too harshly, um, but be confident that what you're doing is way more important than your job and your career. It will be life-changing and one of, well, it'll be the best thing you ever do in my, in my experience. I think the the other, I mean, I, I tell the story where I, w- I actually found out I was expecting my youngest child when I was in the process of um, applying and being selected for the head of retail bank for ING. So I'd literally had two interviews when I found out I was expecting um, my son. And even though I speak so confidently about these issues publicly, I was nervous. I was really nervous to tell ING that, I was expecting, you know, a, a child because I thought it would impact my um, ability to get the job and I couldn't have been more wrong. I'm, I'm almost frustrated with myself that I went into that conversation, you know, holding that judgment myself. Um, the response was equally as, oh, this is something everyone does, you know, congratulations. Are you excited? Have you thought of, you know, how's this going to work sort of thing? And don't be stupid. Of course, we still want you in the, you know, selection process. This is a marathon, not a sprint sort of thing. So, you know, I, I say that I, I talk about this and I and I can offer counsel to people, but I'm also honest and vulnerable enough to admit that I myself was nervous when I stepped into that conversation. Were you in leadership roles at Santa? So, um, I well, it depends, you know, and this is an interesting, what is a leadership role? Um, so I was on the centenary committee when I was in year 12. I mean, I think that started in year 11 um, because uh, 1994 was the centenary year for Santa. Um, you know, I was certainly in sporting leadership roles and, and I did debating and things like that, but I, I didn't hold any formal you know, officers, so to speak. I wasn't a school captain or a prefect or a house captain. Um, And, you know, I think that holding those sorts of positions are, you know, incredibly valuable early on in your life. Um, But I I would say to those, um, if there are students listening who don't hold those more formal office positions, you can be a leader from anywhere in the organisation if you care about something. Uh, and it could be being a leader within your class or your friendship group if there's something difficult to deal with. It could be, yeah, as I said, on the sporting field. Uh, it could be, you know, in a, in a community of, of a different definition. But I do think leadership is about um, helping people, supporting people, affecting change. 
And I just keep coming back to this whole concept that um, sometimes, you know, a badge or a title is not what you need to, to be a leader. I do, I think we've all, we all know people like that in our lives. You know, I, I know the people in who I've worked with who have certainly affected change in organisations or even the, those that I work with in community organisations who maybe not be at the top of the pyramid or, or have a official title, but people generally know who they want to follow. Um, yeah, and I think that that's a really important concept to hold on to. Speaking of sport, were you ever <laughs> in a surf club? <laughs> I was. So, um so I'm now on the board, the, the National Board of Surf Life Saving Australia. Um, for my sins as a banker, I'm also chair of the risk and um, the, the finance audit and compliance committee. Um, so I guess I got to this point in my life. So I, I, I did surf life saving right through. I was a NICRA into my teens. And I just got to the stage, I think it was about eight years ago now, where I realised that I had all these things all these movements and community issues that I wanted to um, give back to. And I think sometimes the best way that you can give back is not necessarily always financial, but it's through um, offering your time and your care and your skill and your diligence. What do you say your secret to success is? Well, I'm happy to share what I think has been important to me. I'm very, very clear that what's worked for me will not work for everyone and you don't need to be like me to forge your own path and the other point here is is not everyone wants to do what I've done you know I'm hopefully we've got people listening who would like to contribute in you know community organizations in public policy in human science in tech you know technology I mean there are people who I think contribute huge amounts um, to our to life, if you'd like, who aren't running, who don't have a title CEO. So that's that's a really important point. I really don't um, want to lose in this. But I think the first thing I'd say, you know, back to the CEO thing, I'm more than my job. You know, I don't define myself as a CEO. You know, I have children, I have a family, I have a lovely group of friends who I really enjoy their company. Um, we don't sit there and talk about banking. Um, you know, I'm more than what I do for a living. And I think that having that healthy outlook that you are more than your job title and that you are more than your profession is not just good for your own well-being, but I actually think it helps you be a better leader because it grounds you in reality uh, and it means that you're far more interested in life beyond what you do in the office. But I do think you do need to stay true to yourself in your role. So, in other words, you know, hearing our conversation today, if you lifted me up and put me in a culture where I couldn't speak openly about equality, about social justice, about the things that really matter to me as a human, not just as a CEO, I probably wouldn't be successful, if I'm honest. So, I think finding your people, finding your organisation, whether that's a corporate or, or some other organisation where you can stay true to yourself and your values is really important. I think, you know, you do have to work hard if you want to progress in any organisation and you must have impact, you must be committed to whatever you're doing. 
And all of those things mean mean that you need to have some sort of attachment, I think, to the purpose of the organisation or the industry that you work in um, or so on and so forth. And um, I think we all know when we meet people, um, when you see, you know, I say the fire in the belly or the twinkle in the eye when someone feels so strongly strongly about something, they, they care so much that, you know, it's impossible to miss. And I think when you have that sort of drive and care about the broader purpose, you can definitely go much further than what you otherwise would. And then I think the other secret, but not really a secret, I speak about it often, is actually have fun and enjoy yourself. Do you have any advice that you'd give your younger self? Ultimately, you end up being a product of the environments that you find yourself in and the humans that you surround yourself with. And it isn't about titles. It's not about um, any, any of those things. It's about feeling like you're, for me, my purpose is to have impact on others, to have a meaningful life, to enjoy life, have fun, spend time with my family and friends, all of those things. And I think when I was leaving school and entering university, um, I probably felt a little too much pressure about those first few steps that I was taking as I was deciding what subjects to do, what to study at university, so on and so forth. I look back now and I think, you know what? It's actually the people that I've been led by, the communities that I've been part of, um, you know, to, to a large extent, the values and, and the hard wiring that, you know, I got from my family and from Santa and from, from other people around me. If I was talking to myself back when I was 17, 18, I'd probably say have confidence in those things and, and don't, don't spend too much time stressing about the really minute decisions um, that you're making as you're leaving school and entering the workforce or thinking about, you know, what particular jobs to take. Thank you for listening to another episode of Exceptional. This is the podcast by the Santa Sabina X students for the Santa Sabina X students. You can help us by leaving a review, sharing it with your friend, or if there are X students that you'd like us to feature, get in contact with us and let us know. Our email address is in the show notes. See you next time for Exceptional.